Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Welcome to the lift. Get ready to take a ride. <laughs> Hello, this is Daniel Foytek, and this is season three, episode number 11 of The Lift, our season finale. Today's episode, yes, that's right, will be the last episode of Season 3. But we are already writing and developing stories for Season 4, and I'll tell you, we do have some great stories underway. Look for Victoria and the Lift to return with all new episodes in the late part of summer. If you can't wait that long, we will have a secret bonus episode of The Lift for those who pick up a copy of our written anthology. Now, the anthology is all new stories set in the world of The Lift, which came out last year and includes nine stories written by some of your favorite authors from the show. And of course, Victoria is in all of them. And don't forget, your purchase does help offset the cost associated with making the show. Now, if you do pick up a copy of the book, or already have, we will give you access to a special book buyer-only episode of The Lift that we'll be putting together later this spring. Just send us a picture of you holding the book to at Victoria's Lift on Twitter, or send an email to us at feedback at ninthstory.com. That's feedback at the number nine, T-H-S-T-O-R-Y dot com. And we'll email you once the episode is available. Show your love of the show by getting one for yourself and maybe even introduce a friend to Victoria by getting a copy for them too. You can see our book trailer and find links to make your purchase at victoriaslift.com or simply type victoriaslift.com forward slash read into your web browser and be taken right to the book on Amazon. That's victoriaslift.com forward slash read. Now, wrapping up season three, we have an amazing tale written by returning author Barbara Jean Savoie. If you enjoy the story, why not follow her on Twitter under the handle at Bucky Babs. That's at B-U-C-K-Y-B-A-B-S. Also, find her profile and more about her over at victoriaslift.com. Now, without further ado, it's time for Five Years, a story scored by the incomparable Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams, told by Heather Thomas and starring Amber Collins as our girl Victoria. Let's go for a ride. I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate? I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid.
Ava stands in the middle of the kitchen, surveying the room like a general does a battlefield. At her feet sits a bucket filled with a mixture of water and bleach. The threadbare t-shirt and leggings she wears to clean in are shielded by a frilly floral apron she inherited from her grandmother. Ugly, but it's an extra layer between her and the grime. The kitchen, by other standards, might already be called spotless, but Ava can see the dirt clinging to every corner. Her skin itches knowing it's there, the mess growing like a cancer until she can scrub it away. Ava gets on her hands and knees, wets her wash rag in the bucket, and gets to work. She scrubs and scrubs until she loses herself in the familiar back-and-forth motions. She scrubs until her mind is blissfully blank. She doesn't have to think when she's cleaning. She washes the kitchen floor until it gleams under the soft ray of sunshine streaming through the pristine windows. She doesn't stop until she's satisfied she's banished every trace of filth to the depths of the bleach bucket. And even then, she scrubs it again, just to be safe. She wipes her forehead with the sleeve of her shirt. She grabs the handle of the bucket and carries it through the house on silent, socked feet. The water sloshes against the sides of the plastic pail. The only sound in the quiet of the house. Halfway to the bathroom, Ava stops. The space around the door to her linen closet is glowing. It's as if Ava left a light on inside the closet, but instead of yellow, the light is a soft yet eerie green. She blinks. No change. What the hell? Ava places the bucket on the floor, careful not to splash water onto the carpet. She pulls off her gloves with a snap of rubber and hangs them over the side. Her hands are hot, sweaty. She wipes her palms on the apron before reaching for the door handle. What should open to shelves stacked with cotton towels and extra bedding opens instead to an empty elevator car. Ava swings the door shut. The green glow pulses behind the door. Again, Ava opens the door. Again, it opens into an elevator. That's not possible, Ava says. She doesn't expect an answer. Living alone for so long, she has come to talk to herself just to keep herself sane, but she never expects an answer, which is why she jumps. Her hand clutched to her clavicle at the sound of a softly accented voice. Hello! A small girl peers around the corner of what should be Ava's linen closet. She has blonde hair tied back with purple ribbons, her sparkling eyes shine a brilliant green. She wears a dress much like the dresses Ava used to admire in her mother's collection of china dolls. In her small hands, the child holds a music box, glowing with the same green light which drew Ava to the closet in the first place. 
Did she inhale too much of the bleach? Or after five years cooped up in this house, this single-story house, has she finally cracked? Neither the girl nor the elevator are possible. Hello, the girl says again in a sing-song. She rises on her tiptoes and tries to wave her hand in front of Ava's face. She giggles when Ava stumbles back. I like your apron. Dumbfounded. Ava looks down at the apron. Thanks. The girl smiles, swirling her skirts around her ankles. I'm Victoria, and this is my lift. You must be Ava. It's a pleasure to meet you. How did you... Right, no. I'm definitely hallucinating. Of course you'd know my name. You're very silly. You're not hallucinating. Here, let me show you. Victoria reaches her hand out for Ava. Ava eyes the threshold of the elevator. If the girl and the elevator are real, it's a clear line between her house and something otherworldly and strange. She shakes her head. Victoria smiles. It's all right. Eva extends her hand, certain it will dispel the illusion, and she'll find herself talking to a stack of towels. But it crosses into the elevator to be taken by Victoria, who tugs her the rest of the way inside. Victoria's hand is cool and solid in Eva's. Victoria squeezes her fingers, as if to prove herself tangible. Okay, so you're real, or I'm standing in my closet like an idiot. Either way, I'm just going to go back. The elevator door closes, leaving Ava and Victoria enclosed in the dimly lit elevator car. The green light of Victoria's music box pulses like a heartbeat. No, wait a minute. I want to get off. She tries to move toward the door, to pound on it, to force it open, something. But Victoria grasps her hand tight. Panic clutches Ava's throat, making it difficult to breathe. She hasn't left her house in five years. Not after what happened. Please, please, Victoria, I have to go back. I have to... Don't be afraid. Victoria squeezes Ava's hand again. You found your way to my lift for a reason, Ava. What reason? I just want to go home. And you can return home. But first, there is a choice for you to make. One which will determine your fate. Choice? What if I don't want to make a choice? That is precisely why you must, Victoria says. Her brilliant green eyes betray something far more serious, something far older than her nine or ten years. They entreat Ava to trust her. Even as her heart pounds and a knot of anxiety tangles her stomach, Ava does trust Victoria. She takes a deep, unsteady breath and lets it out. Okay, fine. Have it your way. As long as... As long as I can go back. Victoria smiles and hides her music box away somewhere in the folds of her skirt. She presses a button on the panel beside the door, lighting up the one marked nine. 
She swings the hand still gripping Ava's between them as the elevator jolts, lifting them up and away from the safety of Ava's home. Ava is grateful for the contact. It keeps her from devolving into a full-on panic. The elevator chimes as they reach their destination. Victoria looks up. Ninth floor. This is your stop. Ava swallows as the door to the elevator slides open, revealing a long, dimly lit hallway. She looks at Victoria, who gives her hand a final squeeze before releasing it. Hesitant, knees shaking, Ava steps out of the elevator. The door rattles to a close behind her. Ava turns to seek Victoria, but the elevator door behind her is just a wall. Victoria and the elevator are gone. Victoria? Ava calls out. Victoria! I changed my mind. I don't want to do this. Please, just take me home. Ava's words echo back to her in the empty hall. Ava squints against the gloom, examining her surroundings. It looks like an apartment building or maybe a hotel. One clearly abandoned and left to rot. The carpets, perhaps once an elegant swirl of red and gold, are stained, torn up in places. Faded wallpaper curls like ribbon ripped from forgotten gifts. Cobwebs hang tattered from the ceiling. Even the spiders have forsaken this place. Ava wipes her hands on her apron, thankful for its protection, even if it does look hideous. Her skin crawls as she imagines dust settling on her skin. Wooden doors stand imposing in the darkness, irregularly spaced along the walls. Without any other idea of what she's supposed to do, what choice she's supposed to make, Ava tries the handle on the nearest one. The door rattles in the frame, but does not open. Ava tries another door, and another. Locked. The fourth door opens only an inch, blocked by something on the other side. Ava stumbles to the end of the hallway to a fifth door. It sticks at first, but then the handle turns. The door opens on squealing hinges. The room beyond is darker than in the hallway, almost pitch black. Ava gropes for a light switch. Finding nothing, she reaches further, patting the wall. She reaches still further, with nothing to keep her balance but the hand gripped to the door jamb. Her fingers brush something in the darkness, and Ava stretches out her fingertips, reaching, reaching. Ava falls into the room, catching herself before she can tumble to the ground. She steadies herself with a hand pressed to the wall, but recoils in disgust when it comes away wet. She scrubs her hand in the folds of her apron. The room isn't a room, but an alleyway. It's dirty, disgusting, 
The riot of graffiti along the brick walls shines beneath a slick layer of grease. Old newspapers, magazines, fast food wrappers, and shattered electronics litter the ground. Thick gray slime drips from the corner of the dumpster pushed against the wall to form a stinking puddle on the concrete. Ava takes in every detail with wide eyes. She's in the same alleyway from five years before. Every stroke of spray paint, every spent needle, every crack in the concrete, all of it the same, including the strong notes of old penny copper layered beneath the stench of refuse. If Ava continues into the alley, she knows exactly what's hidden behind the dumpster. Ava turns around. The door is still there, but no matter how hard she pushes, it refuses to bunch. She slams her shoulder into it in desperation, uncaring of the shock of pain each time she throws herself into uncompromising wood. Victoria! The door doesn't open. The child doesn't appear. Ava is alone. The copper smell grows stronger, cloying, until it overpowers the stink of the alley. Is this the choice she's supposed to make? To face the events from five years ago? Ava takes a shuddering breath. She can't. She can't do this. She's not strong enough. But what else can she do? She pushes herself away from the door. Her steps are wooden, but she forces herself deeper into the alley, tiptoeing through the trash in her socked feet, hand over her mouth as she fights the urge to vomit. She lifts her eyes and forces herself to see. Only feet away, in the darkness, are two figures. One sprawls, unmoving on the ground. The other, a slighter figure, kneels beside the first. At first glance, it appears the slighter figure is trying to help, until the person brings clasped hands above their head. Metal catches a stray ray from the streetlight beyond, revealing a bloody knife. The slighter figure brings the knife down, over, and over, and over. Tears blur Ava's vision as she chokes on a sob, but she doesn't need to see what's happening. The memory has been living just under the surface of her skin for five years now. It flashes before her eyes like a silent film, cut together in a crude montage. Walking back to her car after a date with Samantha, the strength of the man's grip as he pulls her into the alley, the ghostly white of his skin juxtaposed against the darkness of the night, the sourness of his breath as he threatens her with the knife, the struggle, the sting of the blade as she wrestles the knife from his hands, somehow, somehow gaining the upper hand. The frenzy of blood and fear and gasping rage as she rains blows into his biceps, his neck, his chest. The strange echoing silence 
after the man is well beyond dead, and Ava can no longer move her arms. Ava wipes her eyes, but instead of tears, her hands come away crimson. She's no longer standing, but kneeling over the ruined body of her attacker. The knife is lodged in the meat of his gut. I don't understand, Ava says. Her whole body trembles with fear and exhaustion, just like that night. Why bring me here? I already know what I did. I already know I'm... She's unable to finish the sentence. You're not a monster, Victoria says. She steps out of the darkness, careful not to ruin her Mary Janes in the muck. The glowing green music box remains cradled in her hands, illuminating the alleyway and the evidence of Ava's crime. Ava spares the girl only a glance. She stares at her blood-soaked hands. She's no longer wearing the threadbare t-shirt and leggings. Her frilly floral apron is gone. It cannot shield her from the blood soaking into the jeans she wore on her date with Samantha. The jeans in which she killed a man. I am. Look at what I did. At what I'm capable of. You were attacked. You defended yourself. This isn't defense, Ava says, indicating the body before her. Self-defense is taking keys to your attacker's eyes. Self-defense is kicking your attacker where it hurts and running away. This wasn't self-defense, Victoria. Ava wraps her arms around her middle. I butchered him. Victoria places her hand on Ava's shoulder. Ava wants to shrug it away. She doesn't deserve such comfort. But instead, finds herself leaning into the contact. It's warm and real. Something she's longed for over the last five years. Fear sometimes makes us do the unexpected. Jeremy Parker would have killed again. Your actions saved not only your life, but the lives of other young women as well. Eva sees herself five years ago, sitting in the police station, giving her testimony. She remembers how numb she felt, how absolutely blank, as an officer explained who her attacker was, how he had killed before, how he was escalating, how he would have tortured and killed her, how he would have continued killing long after he hacked her body into pieces with his knife. The police, her family, her friends, everyone insisted Ava was no murderer. They told her repeatedly how proud they were of her for fighting back, how happy they were she survived. But her family, her friends... They never saw her hunched over Jeremy Parker's body. Her skin, her hair, her clothing, all of it splattered with blood. They never saw the blood on her hands. The blood which, no matter how hard she scrubs, she can never get clean. Ava swallows hard around the lump in her throat. I stabbed him 
11 times. Who does that? A survivor. You were a monster, Ava. You wouldn't have locked yourself away. Because it isn't fear which keeps you hidden in your house. It's guilt, isn't it? Ava sniffles and nods. She's never been able to explain it, because she's refused to face it for all this time. Victoria's words strike a bell within her, however. The truth rings crisp and clear and resonates within her. It loosens a tightness in Ava's chest, a tightness she hadn't known she carried. Don't you think you've punished yourself enough? Victoria continues. Ava looks at the body of Jeremy Parker, at the knife still embedded in him. With both hands, she wrenches the knife from his gut. She places it on his chest and folds his hands over it like a bouquet of funeral flowers. I'm sorry. I'll probably always be sorry. But I think it's time to move on. Victoria smiles. She holds her hand out like she had on her elevator. But this time, Ava doesn't hesitate in taking it. Victoria helps her up, and they both make their way out of the alley, back to the door Ava came through, their way lit by the glowing green of her music box. I don't think it'll happen all at once, Ava says. What matters is now you have the strength to try. I know you can do it, Ava. As they walk, the blood disappears from Ava's clothing. Her hair is no longer matted with it. The stickiness of the blood half-dried to her skin disappears as well, including the blood only Ava could see. The blood she spent five years trying to wash away. Victoria leads her through the door and down the hallway of the abandoned building. She ushers Ava back onto the elevator and presses the button marked L. Instead of the lobby, however, the elevator opens into Ava's house. The bleach bucket and rubber gloves sit on the floor, just where she left them. Wait! Victoria says, stopping Ava before she can exit the elevator. Don't you want this back? She holds the frilly floral apron. Ava smiles. I don't need it anymore. Thank you, Victoria. For everything. You're very welcome, Ava. Good luck. The elevator door slides shut. Ava closes the door to her linen closet. Experimentally, she opens it again to find all of her towels on their appropriate shelves. Thunder rumbles, signaling the approach of afternoon storms. Ava makes her way through her house. Once her sanctuary, but also her self-imposed prison. For the first time in five years, she goes to the sliding glass door leading out into her backyard. After a short pause, she disengages the lock and pushes the door open. She takes a step onto the patio. Her breath hitches, but she takes a deeper breath through her nose, her stomach expanding with fresh, damp air. Something tugs at her heart, like a leash, pulling her back inside. But Ava shrugs it away. 
She takes one step into the yard, then another. A long, familiar voice inside her whispers, Murderer. Ava shakes her head. She clenches her fists. She won't crumble under the weight of her guilt. Not this time. She turns up her face and lets the rain wash the worst of it away. Go for a ride. There are many stories here. Like this place. Like many things here. Some have become lost. But all lost things yearn to be found. And all stories long to be told. I've searched through my building. Gathering up stories. From every floor. From the basement to the ninth story, and every floor in between. Stories of choice, of the hopeless, the redeemable, and the lost. Stories that will unlock something inside of you and carry you through fear to your future. Get your copy of the Lift's First Anthology on Amazon in print and Kindle. Let's go for a read. Ha, ha, ha.